Sophie Schneiderman. Hello. Is an um, antiquarian book dealer specializing in fine press, private press? Yes, the art of the book, private press, illustrated books, calligraphy, fine binding, typography, anything to do with the art of the book, really. That's wonderful. You like doing that? I love doing that. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Why is that? I just love dealing with beautiful things. And I, I really enjoy the people who make them, the more modern stuff, finding out about the people who used to make them. Um, also, the people who collect them yeah. tend to be really wonderful people in touch with, with um, their artistic side and, and understand the beauty of things. It makes life a better place. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> That's a pretty good reason. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. And how long have you been doing it? Nearly 30 years. Yes, quite a long time. Um, first, I left university and ended up very quickly working for Mags Brothers um, in Berkeley Square then. And um, I went to just answer the phones and ended up staying for 17 years. And then I, in 2007, I started my own business just so I could be more focused, really, on well, exactly what I wanted to do. Okay. Okay. And so, how did you get going? How did you start it? On a wing and a prayer. <laughs> um, I think life is a tiny bit easier then than it is now. Um, it was just a year before it would have become hard because of the, the downturn in 2008. Yeah. But I literally went across the road. I had no money. And I went across the road from Mags in Berkeley Square to my bank, which was across the other side of the street, and said... Um, oh, you wouldn't give me an overdraft to set up my own business. And I just, by chance, got one of those very old-fashioned bank managers who who actually did an assessment of whether you would be able to succeed. And he lent, you know, he lent me. He gave me an overdraft for a small amount. Um, and I borrowed a lot. Of, you know, I borrowed books from people. and To, to, to sell and, one consignment? And, yeah, well, to run them from one person to another or, or whatever. And what does that mean? So you might take a book from from a dealer to take to a customer um, and you make a little cut on it as you sell it, but they can't sell it, so they're very happy for you to go to the go to their you know, your customer with their book and make a cut. I uh, see. Okay. And I don't So know. you developed relationships with other booksellers yeah and which you know obviously I'd already been in the business for 17 years so yeah. it's not like somebody starting out on their own which I no. really admire you know I think that it it was yeah it was risky but I just for some reason felt I could do it and yeah. took a deep breath <laughs> and hope the mortgage would be paid but there's nothing like that kind of fear actually to make you work a lot harder yeah. and there is no real secret to this this um, trade is just if you work hard things happen if you don't which a lot don't then okay, but tell me about don't. working hard what exactly what work do you do so you're always looking out for things you're always I believe that if you stay static in your shop or your home nothing is going to happen you have to be out there sniffing around looking at things all the time so every fair you can possibly get to go to every bookshop you should go to you should meet people you should go to libraries look at their exhibitions try and meet the librarians um you know always be in a place where you could meet people that you know might be good for your business and so you um, would just in most of these cases you'd say 
I, 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 I'm in the fine press, private press, art of the book business. Yeah. Uh, I buy and sell uh, and keep me in mind the next time yeah. you've got either of those things to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, pretty much. But I mean, obviously, as I said, I did have the benefit of having been around things. for a yeah. long time. Yeah. And, and also that I've been traveling internationally for a long time. So I already thought of myself instantly as an international dealer, which I think has helped me a great deal that I was always working towards that that I wanted mm. to go abroad and sell things abroad and actually that does help your business enormously through all the ups and downs you know you might not be doing well in one place but another place is doing just fine and I think you know that whole attitude of and maybe arrogance of being in a big firm has helped helped me enormously mm. and so traveling internationally you go to the book fairs primarily the, the, and sell books yes yeah. Yes. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, I've got a family, so I would say that I'm quite limited as to how much I can do. So, you know, whereas some other dealers are able to sort of hang around for a week afterwards and go and see librarians and whatever, I really can't do that. You know, I've right. got children at school, I have to get back. Mm. But, you know, I do what I can. And, and I do several fairs every year. I do three in America. I do one in Hong Kong. Occasionally, I do one in, in Australia. Which ones do you do in America? So um, primarily I do California and New York yeah. um, and I've done Boston once before and I'm doing it again this year. And Which is the best one for you? Oh, they vary. The best fare in all for me yeah. is Hong Kong, um, but that's because I have two particularly amazing <laughs> clients there and I see them once a year and so they're very hungry by the time I get there because there aren't many bookshops in Hong Kong. And so that's really the reason why. So um, I would say California is is the best for me, but that's because there's a massive interest in printing and bookmaking there, mm, really yeah. massive. Yeah. And the libraries are very interested in it and the individuals are very interested in it. But also that people go, you know, real collectors in America will be at all the fairs. And so perhaps California benefits by being the first in the year. So, you know, you are really presenting them with fresh stock because New York is only three or four weeks afterwards. So, you, yeah, so you know, you can... the really keen guys will fly down from wherever and mm -hmm. be in California because they know for all the, particularly for the British dealers, it's the first big fair of the year. So they can get all the fresh stuff. What else about the business side? Anything else that uh, comes to mind? As well, far some as... of it's tedious. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not all cataloging what's, what's... lovely books, but... Yeah. Um, um, Cataloging think, lovely books, that's, is that one of your favourite parts? Yes, it's, and so what totally. You... Research, cataloging, um, really getting to the nub of what the story about that book is. And because, you know, this is the book art, every book, even if it's printed in a few, you know, a few copies, has an interesting story behind it. You know, mm. why did that individual printing at that press decide on that text or you know what what relationship did they have with the illustrator why did they choose that illustrator and um there's always a story yeah and why is it and it's unique? up to you to get that story out yeah. of the book and i love that you know so there's a bit of me i'm quite gregarious i love going to fairs but i also just love it when i get back and i can just quietly 
get back to my books and be on my own. <laughs> well, it's interesting, isn't it? They're, and it's the same with writers, I think. Their lives are, you know, a little bit, you know, I won't say, well, I will say schizophrenic, but the fact yeah, is yeah, yeah, yeah. that uh, they have to go out on the road and sell their book, but yes. they also have to write it. And yes. I, I like that balance. So yes. I, I, yeah, I, do I you, you, you like that down times and the up times. And yeah. Um, I think it's harder for you. You're not dealing with an object necessarily when you're writing, and 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 therefore, you know, I think there's a lot of book deals that say, "Oh, I'm I'm going to be a writer," and you, but you're not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and actually, I think we're all a bit twitchy because there is this need to get out there all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure some genuinely are writers, but uh, you know, it's it's a lot of yes, I've written a novel on the back of an envelope, and it's a kind of conceit that a lot of book dealers have, which you probably have found. I'm not a writer. No. I mean, I write catalogues, and I enjoy that. But I, I, I so the am essence not a of the catalog then is to come up with the story, a really interesting story and a persuasive story about that book, so someone really wants to have it. Yes. And you present it. You photograph all the the. Books if I photograph and... every book. Um, I'm not the world's greatest photographer, but I do <laughs> photograph every book. I think you have to now, and especially mm. because what I do is so visual. Mm. You know, it's not someone buying a copy of of a, a first edition when they kind of know what it looks like. Mm-hmm. They're just looking for the, the finer points of its condition. You know, the, every book I sell is visual, and mm. people often will buy a new press or a new book artist or a new illustrator because they stumble across it and they will stretch their collection that way. Um, so it does have to be, it does have to be visual. So yes, you, you tell the story. Mm-hmm. You don't have to say, say too much. Always leave them being Did able to find something out for themselves. Because, exactly. you know, how boring yeah. to be told everything. So, you know, they, they, and also that every book, you might catalogue it in one way, but they'll be interested in it because it's printed in Derby or something. Mm. Not because yeah. it's printed by this particular printer in, or, or with a particular illustrator. So they'll be coming out you, from you, different... You've always got to think that when you're cataloguing, yeah. it includes the information you need. They may be trying to put back a, you know put a library back together so who the book whose book plate is in the front may matter to them mm-hmm. um so you know you don't know. don't presume that you know why you know everything but you have to kind of have a sense of yourself in your catalogues because mm-hmm. people will either follow that or not be interested at all but it is a very personal thing mm-hmm. and a lot of book dealers will say you can only sell books you love and i totally agree with that i mean i've Must had be hard to let go of them then of course <laughs> but you get used to it i have yeah. i have what i call my shelves of sin which are sort of two or three shelves in the shop mm-hmm. of books that i sort of kind of want to own but if i don't catalog them then they're not for sale so they're sort of mine for a bit okay what's and on that shelf oh well well i mean i showed you earlier which obviously anyone listening to this hasn't seen but i am putting together little collections of Victorian illuminated manuscripts and um, what I didn't show you were, were books which were illustrated with original photographs probably you know little they'd be local histories quite often there'd be a sort of jobbing photographer going around the country who would take a picture of the local church and the town hall and whatever and there are a lot of books around like that that they they used original photographs 
as illustrations in these little tiny books. Were they uh, beautifully made books or just not particularly just, just bound in cloth? But their illustrations were were photographs, and that's what because they would be printed you. in very small numbers, and they would yeah. you know they either inspired by I don't really know how it works why I collect things to think about them yeah. um you know they you know either the the photographer came round and they thought oh well let's do a history of the parish church or something mm. or it was commissioned I don't really know the answer but you know so I yeah lots of things like that but also okay. just if I have a really beautiful book you know perhaps a, a manuscript or something I just don't really want to get rid of quite yet yeah, I'll just yeah. sit on it for a bit you want to be and a also, custodian for a while yeah and also sometimes you don't really understand something mm-hmm. and until you suddenly will read something somewhere and suddenly you'll go oh gosh I know exactly what that image is you know because it wasn't a sign it may be a painting or a, a, a print that isn't signed and yet you recognize it and you're convinced it's somebody and then suddenly you read something and it all fits into place so you know that kind of thing will just be left to moulder some of them obviously I'll die with but you know <laughs> well hopefully not well I guess you have to catalogue it first though right oh yeah, yeah. before I die yeah <laughs> uh, let's get into the books then okay someone who's intrigued by the, the, the book beautiful um, fine press books uh, let's say they've got they don't have a huge amount of money but they got I don't know maybe five Ten thousand dollars over the course of the year, let's yes, say, or, yes, or not even that much, whatever. Yes. What would you recommend to them if they want to become a collector of what you specialize in? Well, I have a very interesting customer who's a bit like that, who is just a teacher, um, doesn't earn very much, and every year he will buy one really good book. He might pay me in bits over the year <laughs> for yeah, it, yeah. Um, and. I quite like his attitude is that, you know, he's very interested in the Golden Cockerel Press and rather than just buy the ordinary edition, he'll buy one special copy. Well, no, they they did sort of specially bound. They usually did about 100 specially bound copies in Morocco, some with suites of plates, some not. Um, And he will buy one... Suites of plates? Well, so they would have the plates in the book with an extra suite, um, an extra set of the plates, loose Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he'll buy one of those every year. And I really admire that. Just the Golden Cockerel, so he's focused. Well, not particularly. You know, yeah. it might be something else that he really loves or whatever. But, I mean, you know, he might buy two, you know, if he's had a good year. But, but you know, really, really he's special. now 50-something and yeah. um, he's got a pretty beautiful little cabinet of beautiful things. That's wonderful. Yeah. And if you are greedier than that <laughs> or need more um you know there are plenty of presses that you can buy say the ordinary copies of golden crockle or even dubs press for for hundreds rather than thousands and so all i would say is if you are buying at that level you know you don't want to spend masses and masses um always buy the best copy you can find mm-hmm even if it's paying £100 more or something, because you will never regret buying the better yeah. copy. Yeah. But, you know, there are smaller presses. You can buy the ephemera of some presses for not very much money, which, um, you know, you're getting the printing, you're getting the, the paper. Quite often you're getting one of the wood engravings in the book printed from the block, um, if there's a prospectus or something like that. So there are lots of ways of doing it if you're interested in particular presses. And you can be, and probably you can be more varied. You just, you're not ever going to be a completist if 
you know, if you know you have some distant uncle in Australia who dies who you've never met, who leaves you a fortune, you know, you might be able to post for everything, but that may never happen to you. So, you know, you can then sort of have a variety of books from each press as a or anything that interests you, and go down lots of avenues. So it isn't, you know, a lot of people say the middle market's dead, which is sort of the hundreds books in the hundreds, and it is absolute twaddle <laughs> it's not true if you put it out there and you treat those books with as much respect as books in the thousands people buy them and they enjoy them and they love them <laughs> you treating them with respect yes and putting them out there. yeah and, by and telling treating... their story as yeah. much as you telling the story of a, a cam scott chaucer because in fact in a way the cam scott chaucer needs less of a story we all know its story, yeah. but you don't know the story of the £150 book from the Golden Cockcrawl Press that no one really cares about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But until you suddenly go, well, actually, this illustrator was really interesting and they trained with blah, blah, blah and whatever, and you suddenly see the whole link of everything linking up. Well, it's a bit like collecting Ernest Hemingway. I mean, mm-hmm. everyone knows about him and the prices are astronomical, um, but if you've got a lot of money... Pretty easy to go after them. It's not doesn't take much well, thought or creativity or initiative, really. No, no, you're right. I mean, but then obviously, you know, the really interested collector goes deeper than that, mm. and they'll find people that influenced him, or yeah. you know, or you know, artifacts that he had, or you know, books that he might have read, or you know, so you know, really clever well, intellectual yeah. collector will always go further than that you know yeah, there's always yeah. the trophy hunter but they probably don't last very long you know they buy books for two years and then they go and buy ferraris and then they go and buy whatever <laughs> you know i said dismissively but you know if you're nuts about ernest hemingway or whatever yes you we will buy those things but then you're always going to if you've got all the money in the world you're going to try and get the really interesting things inscribed to somebody or or letters or whatever so you know there's you know if you apply your mind to it you can do amazing things I think, yeah, that's the thing about collecting is it's really, uh, it's up to you to, if you can find something that not all that many other people want, but that connects to a love of yours or a passion, you don't have to spend a huge, huge ton of no, money. No, no, you really don't. And and also that the mass of them gives them more interest, you know, so if you can tell the story of collecting, you know, there's lots of book collecting prizes now for students mm. and a lot of them and are, women, and, women. Mm. and a lot of them are, are, are starting with nothing. I mean, you know, they've got no money, they've got, you know, them going along to the local secondhand bookshop, which is in fact how a lot of book dealers start and, you know, just finding a thread and it's a kind of curation, I suppose. And there is no need to spend a lot of money. If you love it, it, it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mm-hmm. not about the high rollers. I mean, you go to some of these book fairs and you might think that's the case, but it is about the person who pursues their interest and passionately. Mm. And, and you know, they just eat baked beans for, for a month because they found <laughs> something they really desperately want that's a bit over their usual budget. But, you know, the, I do, th- you know, if you look at, you can find them, I think, online, all the different sort of book collecting prizes. There's a lot. I think Yale does one, and there's one at Oxford, and you know some schools have them. There's a there's also uh, 
I'm just trying to remember what it is. It's like bees and honey, or yeah, honey and wax. They do honey. one, one just for done one. yeah, they just yeah, come out yeah. With yeah. They yeah. do one every year, mm. <laughs> and you know all those things are published online, so they give you ideas if you want to start collecting. It give mm. you ideas and mm. and think about different avenues. Even yeah. if you're interested in the book arts, you just collect bits of type. You know, find find typography that interests you, or if it's bits of calligraphy, just collect little pieces of it you don't have to have to where would you people. find that you just go dig through uh, just go to book fairs but go to shops go where you always would go um and just ask for a fan and and don't be embarrassed going into you know if you find a dealer who like you like the look of their things don't be embarrassed to call them up yeah i know most dealers are, are by appointment now so you know it is harder than it used to be but you know don't be embarrassed to call them up and talk to them because they're there because they love doing what they do. Mm-hmm. You know, very few of them are cold businessmen. They're all we're all crazy. So you know, we <laughs> like other crazy people, so we feel normal. Mm. Yes. <laughs> and you know, so if you, you know, if you ever were to sort of think, oh, I'd be interested in that, just go and see them. No one minds mm. you poking through their things. It's fine. You know. What do you love? I, I mean, I, I, one of the questions I ask is, uh, you know, which are, what's the best? But that's just a kind of silly question because the best is different for almost everyone. Yeah. Uh, then there's the quality of the printing. Yes. Can you get anywhere near that? Like, is, uh, is this press better than that press? Or do you want to mm. go there with that? Oh, you see, I quite like a bit of sort of imperfection. Yes. Well, that's um, it. Yeah. So who do you oh, like? Oh, lots of people have different views and everybody. And yeah. mine change all the time because obviously I'm dealing with it all the time. You know, at the moment... Ashton Dean Press is very fashionable and of course you know he was a very wealthy man who ran it and he was able to buy all the best ingredients yeah. and all the best yeah. Yeah. all the best printing whatever but I really I don't know I still love the Dubs Press I love the purity yeah. of it the purity and what the minimalism kind of or what that he was I mean he, he's a fascinating man I mean bonkers but fascinating Who's and uh, Cobden Sanderson yeah who chucked uh, his type into He this. chucked his type. Well, it wasn't his type. That was the problem. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but he did chuck it all into the... T- his partner was uh, Emery... Uh, Emery Walker. He designed yeah, it. So, yeah. yeah, you would be a bit annoyed. Yeah. Um, uh, but he chucked it matrix by matrix into the Thames over over weeks, months. And so that no one could sully it. it was so, so he didn't want bad literature printed in his type. Wow. So he would be turning in his grave now it's been digitised. Against his wishes, obviously. Clearly. <laughs> yeah. So this guy's look, I think Green is his name, right? Yeah, I mean, he's a fascinating look, man. It, yes. Fascinating but, man. But. I went foraging in the in the mud and, and whatever. Um, but he's he's contradicting the wishes of this. But then as he didn't own it, maybe it doesn't really matter. True enough. <laughs> he, he was I mean, Emery Walker might wishes. have digitised it, so yeah. you can decide which part, which which <laughs> side you're on, really. Yeah. But, you know, technically, I suppose I suppose um, um, the type could be used for an ad, <laughs> which would have made, made the vegetarian socialist Gordon Sanderson quite annoyed. <laughs> Um, which is kind of perfect in a way. I mean, it's wonderful. Um, but so, yes, no, I do love that. I also love some, very, you know, very fine calligraphy. I also, in fact, yesterday I just went to the Burn Jones um, exhibition, which has just opened at the Tate, which is splendid if you have time. I, um, I'm going to do that um, one day. I'll do uh, it. And there is a, I have never felt the need to 
open, you know, try and rip a case open to get something out more. And I saw there was a Rubaiyat in there. Obviously, just open at one page. Um, and you could kind of see that it was bound beautifully, but you can only just see the edges of it. And you could only just see one page of it. But um, William Morris, one of his, their patrons, William Morris had written out the Rubaiyat. I mean, just exquisitely. He yeah, was he, a wonderful calligrapher. Well, he was so wonderful at so many of these yeah, different yeah, arts, wasn't yeah, he? He yeah, spent the time to... It's what he did before TV. <laughs> we all now just watch box sets. But um, he, you know, so there was a Rubaiyat written out by him with beautiful letters and little images and whatever with with paintings by yeah. you know small paintings by Burne Jones apparently throughout it but I could only see one page you've got these amazing little paintings and, and the beautiful calligraphy and the vellum and you could just see the edge of it. and yeah so I want that book if you could arrange that and uh, okay. <laughs> uh, so that's uh, Lacan Scott what no is it? it's just a, a it's a manuscript it's a oh, Morris it's just... manuscript but yeah it's bound Oh, okay. So it's a okay. manuscript to the whole of the Rubaiyat. Ah, yes. Okay. And so, Got it. but we could only see two pages. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. killing. Okay. You're like, I need, to, I need. <laughs> you don't understand. I need to see that. Um, I need to have that, but obviously that's yeah. not going to happen. But I need to see that. Um, I'm rather hoping that it, it might be owned by somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I might get to go and have a look through it. Yeah. But yeah, so that would do me if I wanted. That would do me. That okay. would make me very happy. Yes. Okay. <laughs> A bit more about Cobden Sanderson. Yeah. Yes. Please. Bit more about him. Yeah. He was crazy. I mean, he he believed that, it, that his sort of bookmaking would make him one with the universe, the cosmos. Yeah. Um, there's a Canadian uh, fine press, uh, Ale, the Eliquando Press. Yeah. And I think he did something on. Cobden oh, a lot of people Sanderson. do stuff on on Cobden Sanderson. Yeah. Like, what kind of stuff do they do on him? Well, really, quite often repeating his. He's written about books. His of yes, his theory. I mean, he has a, the thesis, the book, beautiful, and it's all about the harmony of the whole. Really, the end. The end of it is it makes him one with the cosmos because it is the harmony of of humanity with the paper and the print and the binding and the illustration or the lack of illustration, which he preferred, and illumination or the use of initials. And he was really trying to get this harmonious whole. I mean, he, and these are found in the doves. Yes, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can you yeah. can get a copy of the book Beautiful, which is a, a sort of little. It's just a little theory, you know, but it's a few pages printed at the Doves Press. Okay. But so you can we, you can see that anywhere that you know, his theories about it. So can you get the FM? Like, can you just get the? It was printed. It was printed and bound. Or there's a broadside that. He, okay. he also printed that were you by know, the Doves Press. By the Doves Press. I see, and that's not. But but you can see it, you know, in in the bibliography, or you can look it up anywhere. But it's really about the harmony. Okay. It's about the the, the all the different pieces coming together as a whole, which right. is the sort of theory of the arts and crafts movement, movement. books. Okay, um, who else? Who, who else? Who else? Well, you know, there's modern presses. I like colour. Yeah, let, well, let's stick with the old ones first. Okay, well, there's uh, obviously there's Cam Scott Press. Yeah. Very busy, some people say. Yeah, I, I, um, it's too much for me. But um, fascinating. You know, absolutely fascinating. That whole thing that, you know, there he was in, in Emery Walker's lecture. You know, yeah, and they walked class, home And together. then they walked yeah. home together and then 
the Count Scott Press was born. And of course, it was the culmination of everything that Morris had done all his life, all of the medievalism and his own writing and, and you know, the idea of, you know, it actually was all craft. It was all people working but doing something beautiful with yeah. the work. So, you know, is, the binders and the people who made the yeah. paper and the, and the people who cast the type and everything. And, and the fulfilment that they get from doing the such The fulfilment of that, yeah. you know, yeah. that your work should be fulfilling. And so it was sort of the idea of, of the yokel workman, really. I mean, it was all very condescending in a, in a way, but very beautiful too, yeah. that, that all these people would come together to make these amazing books. Um, and he wanted to keep the price down so everyone could afford them. Yeah, but, but it was all relative. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> By everyone, I'm not quite sure yeah, yeah, exactly, what yeah. he was really me. Yeah. But of course, you know, they were expensive. At the and, time. and so that's why these books have been so well preserved, as they were all expensive at the time. And so the people and so the, them Yeah, we'll be going, I'll oh, be careful with those. You yeah. know, they'd yeah. say to the next generation, don't just chuck those around. Those were expensive. And, you know, they're fairly rare and whatever. So, you know, you do... You know, a lot of them don't didn't go by the wayside, and a lot of them are quite well preserved. Mm-hmm. And you know, they they really have survived quite well. And the use of vellum as a binding, obviously, it's quite tough. Things like that. So you know, yeah. So he was he was amazing. And then of course, Cardin Sanderson completely refuted everything and said that's all busy and dreadful. Yeah. And but respectfully waited till Morris died before he started printing his own. And then you've got the Ashendine Press, which is um, everything sort of individual. I think people, why people really love. The Ashendine Press is it's not a homogenous whole. You know, you don't quite look at it in the same way. You know, so Dove's Press, you know, it's Dove's Press. Yeah, you can put a line Cam of them Scott, together and they... You, you know, they match. Yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of yeah. And then Ashendine Press, it was all um, very different. And, and he was he was a businessman and he understood that. So he did sort of whimsical things like, I'm going to print this in 16 copies, which is going to kill the collectors. And, <laughs> and um, you know, and even writes that in his bibliography, which is quite funny. Hmm. And uh, I think it's... Who's this again? This is um, St. John Hornby. So yeah. that that was, I think, Bacon's Old Gardens is 16 copies. One of, the, one of them is 16 copies. And, you know, of course that's going to kill a collector. And, of course, you know, even further than that, a lot of them were hand, you know, with hand, hand rubricated and stuff. So they're all slightly different. And I've, I have a collector like, uh, of mine at the moment is sort of is actually looking at all these things. He's a very interesting man in Hong Kong and he's looking at all these different books. And, you know, he showed me some pictures the other day of a very sort of ordinary, not ordinary, but, you know, a small um, Ashendine press book. And there were two different first pages, really, because the initials were by Grayley Hewitt and he'd done totally different initials. And you've always just seen they're all the same because you never see them together. And, of course, the Song of Songs, which were all hand-illuminated by um, Florence Kingsford. And they're all different. But no one's really seen them side by side. So although we know they're all different, we you don't... they're all different from book to book? Yeah. Or... Yeah, OK. So, you know, some of the first pages... So they're unique books, then? So they're basically, so they had a certain amount printed and then these amazing borders, which were illuminated. So some yeah. of them have lions, some of them have peacocks, some of them have mm-hmm. serving girls, some of them have, you know, some of them have oranges, some of them have apples. You know, it's, it's, they're amazing, but no one's ever, you know, so I've had a few in my time, but I can't really remember, you know, the earlier ones, there wasn't, you couldn't just take pictures with your iPhone. So, you know, no one's ever really put them together. Mm-hmm. But this, this is the guy going Hong Kong is going to do it. I, I can see oh, he's got he's got that diligence and um, fascination with the whole thing, and um, and a very fine mean, collection. But you know, persistence he, too. Yeah. yeah, and also he's just lovely. So you know, people are going to very happily 
open the doors and let him have a look at everything. You know, he's truly interested. So you know, hopefully he'll do that. That that that's really interesting. So you know, nothing's maybe that's part of the appeal of it all that it is so handmade. Yeah, and nothing's you know as big. Nothing is is the same. Uh, when you talked about the the sort of the differences, I put in mind of uh, the Nonsuch Press, mm-hmm. Francis uh, Maynell. Yes, and that was all very varied, wasn't exactly, it? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So do you do you deal in that? Yeah, much? a bit. You know, it's obviously a much bigger limitation of everything. Yeah, it's not and, quite and it's a fine become press, is it? well. Some of them are beautiful. You get the Don Quixote with the McKnight Cowfer's illustrations. That's amazing. The Dante's beautiful the Herodotus incredible of course they're all in that very sort of thick boards and venom so it means they all bow like crazy but mm. but it is a really interesting press because it does go all over the place mm-hmm. um, and some things are, are beautiful and some things are text and and you know so it is interesting but obviously it, it doesn't because of the large limitation they don't keep their value like the the uh, necessarily mm-hmm. um but obviously things like Donkey, they've gone up a lot because McKnight Cowfer's reputation has gone up yeah. a lot. So for yeah. all these sort of different reasons, things keep their value or don't. Or the, the Dickens keeps its value very well with the extra plate that was from the original. You know, all those kind of things do very well. But, you know, none such goes up and down. Hmm. People are less completist than they used to be. They used to be very completist about it. But I think the internet changed that with the things with bigger limitations. Because when you look up and you see, I can always get a copy of this. You know, there will always be one out there. There were a thousand five hundred copies. You know, whatever. There, there will always be one out there. It takes the pal off for people. They don't necessarily want that. So they'll just. They want the rarity. They want the rarity. Mm. But again, someone who uh, doesn't have a huge budget, it's a kind of an interesting press to go yeah. after. Beautifully produced. Yeah. You know, all the same theories of production and beautiful paper and good yeah. binding and. All those same theories are there. But I think a lot of people really start... I mean, I suppose in this country, a lot of people start with the Folio Society, which does sort of not very limited books. But but when you're young, you sort of... You start to get the theory of the whole. Um, and then they'll quite often... Mean? Well, you, the, you know, that, that, you ha- that, that you get these sort of limited edition books, but um, that they've got... Nice illustrations, a good binding. You know, mm-hmm. you know, you you're progressing on from your paperback in the in yeah. the in the bookshop, yeah. and then they, you know, people will quite often go and start. You know, golden cockerel is a very obvious next step, really. From the folio, society. from folio site or limited editions club or whatever yeah. is the equivalent. Well, some of those are, are some of those are really magnificent, and and also and, signed too. and also if you go back in the folio society's history, some of those, you know, really are remarkable and quite rare. You know, and just because they're sort of doing a lot now, um, yeah. it doesn't mean that that's not how it always was. Right. Um, and also, you know, some of the things they do now are magnificent facsimiles of things and, well, they, and things. Well, they won the Victoria and Albert yeah. book design. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's design. a real, they really, yeah. you know, you know, it's, it is quite a good place to start. Mm-hmm. If you've, you know, not got, you know, you just want to get a really nice copy of something, of a book that you really like. But it, it is quite often a route for people. And I think similarly in America with limited editions stuff there was yeah. that was quite a, a, a route I mean I don't know now but I think in the past um, and it's just that people who if they were young started to buy those they just had that instinct that yeah. aesthetic and, and Maino was connected to the limited edition yeah, yeah yeah 
So, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, so, you know, it is all that sort of the idea of beautiful books and why not, why do people have to read things yeah. with horrible print and horrible paper? Anything in between sort of the last 20 years and limited editions and the non such that we should be aware of? Well, there's all sorts of things really going on all the time. I mean, you know, there's lots of sort of people producing things in very small numbers. There's, um, in America, there's a lot of presses, you know, Allen Press, Grabhorn Press, over here, you know, Stanbrook Abbey, these kind of little, you know, smaller presses, but, you know, but also things printed at the Kerwin Press. Yeah, they're beautiful. I mean, the they, that's not technically a private press, but, you know, there you, know, you are they, dealing with beautifully produced books and you yeah. can get those very cheaply. Simon Oliver was. The... Yeah, and, and so... You know, all the way through, and then I think that what's going on now is fascinating. There's a whole reflowering of of fine printing and fine presses. I mean, what I would call fine presses as opposed to private presses, I think that's just a distinction that makes things well, a bit easier. <laughs> what, what is, yeah, I mean, the difference between a fine press and a private press, I don't think there is when they're interchangeable. There really isn't, but I think that sort of it just... Private press books has now got a connotation that it means Kelmscott, Doves, Ashendine, that kind of era. I see. And I think that I would probably now, for ease of reference, say what's happening now is fine press. I think that's how people describe themselves too. They, they, You know, it is the fine press book association, not the private press book association. Because private press also encompasses earlier stuff that you would just print privately you know and I think that the the era that we think of as private press it it was private press but it's not quite right I think fine press is perhaps better Mm -hmm. description because private press also just meant you were publishing your own poems and and it not necessarily on good paper not necessarily beautifully thought about you know you're just privately printing something and so fine press I think probably is more descriptive okay so, who comes to mind then now? Now, Gaylord Shanalek, Midnight Paper Sales, great favourite of mine. What makes him so good? He is a brilliant artist, but more than that, he everything is conceived. He's a true artist, <laughs> and everything is conceived as a whole. His books are conceived as a whole. They have a theory behind them, they have a principle behind them. Like his beautiful, uh, the, the, the rings of the trees, I love yes, that Yes, Sylvai is a masterpiece. Yeah. But it all had this theory, so that all those trees had to come from his own property. That's right. And he, you know, just engraved them a little bit more to make them easier to print, you know, not just printing straight from the wood, you know, it was engraved, but, you know, it was using the wood. But the whole thing... Is, is just beautiful. There's that wonderful picture in it. I don't know if you've ever seen it of the, the tall maple tree, which I think now provides all his blocks. All his blocks mm. come from that tree, so he always engraves on maple. So it's kind um, of an environmental feel to it. Yeah, well. I mean, he's mm. sort of, he is thorough in the woods. Then he's developing too. It's not just stuck, because you do see some people just get stuck in there. This is what I produce, this is what I make money out of, it's fine, it's fine, fine. And him, it's nothing to do the money it's the next project and mm. um i think you know he's he is the real thing um and, he, he and also that it. he's you know he understands how the page should look he understands how the binding should look he you know he doesn't do it himself which is a you know which 
but you know he he understands how to make everything obviously he prints the pages but he doesn't yeah. do the binding or, yeah but you know he understands the whole thing and it's all mm. from the heart it's the most passionate bit of bookmaking ever amazing mm. another one i would think of is is ron king at the circle press where well, he's been he's british um where's he located he's now down um near chichester but he's been going for a long time since the 60s and he really i mean if mm. you really to look back at why the fine press movement is so buoyant now he was a large part of it um, he inspired a lot of people. He's, Never heard of he's him. the most. Well, you, you should look him up. Ron yeah. King at the Circle Press. Okay. Um, I'll show you some books. Yeah. <laughs> and he's brilliant, but also just inspires people. Um, and also was a guy who just got on the road around America to all the libraries and that sold his be, books. That must have been a fun road trip. Oh, it was amazing. Huh. You know, I mean, he was tough, you know, and he, yeah. he went and sold his books, but, you know. Is he still alive? He is still alive. Um, he'd be a very interesting person to talk yeah, to. That's why I asked. He really would be very interesting because he really, you know, now all the libraries buy this stuff and yeah. that's why all the fine presses are surviving, the libraries in America. And he is the reason. Um, and his work's stupendous and it's moved and it's changed and, you know, his latest book is incredible. You know, it's all blind printed and it's a sort of inward story about about sea goddess but you know he did these incredible early books um in the 60s with great big silk screen prints and you know so he's an artist but he also loves poetry so he's worked very closely with a lot of very important poets and so he again it's the conceiving of the book as a whole and really understanding what he's doing he's not just an artist he's an artist who creates things and so you can touch his prints and you know that whole connection it is something very immediate, isn't it? Really. Um, it's a bit ephemeral. I'm not really sure. I can't. It's hard to grasp that concept, really. But but uh, you know the fact when you say it's a whole, what exactly does that mean? So when you pick up the book, it's not just a text with illustration. You feel they've really thought. It's been thought through. You know, okay. the 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 illustrations and the text are very closely related. They've thought about the right paper to print it on. The right. To, the right font to use for to make the yeah. poems make sense the right place on the page they've designed the whole thing it comes from one person's mind i think yeah. is what i'm trying to say and in rather fact, like the early presses well i was going to say the when you say private press typically that means one person's vision uh, okay that's great i'm learning here i <laughs> I'd, uh, I'd never heard of him no he's really really special really okay. important really important okay who else? <laughs> Who else? Who else? Well, it's but the Barbarian Press. They're they're yeah, brilliant. A little shout out to Canada. Um, um, really excellent, beautifully produced. I mean, there's so many. There's so many. There so are, you know, yeah. you know, probably a visit to Codex or something is, yeah, is which recommended. Is, which is California. Which is California in February. Every two years, right? Every yeah, every two years, and it's this February. Okay. I mean, you know, that mixes artist books too, which may be less interesting to people in, in interest in press books. But yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people there from all over the world. Um, right. And so you know, it's, it's a sort of growing thing, really, growing movement. Um, there's the old school press here. I think that's amazing. Very quiet people, but really produce beautiful books in in britain in in devon i think they devon. are now okay. they've just moved so yeah i okay. think they're in devon old school old school press 
and they're far from old school. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> they, kind of an ironic. Yeah, yeah I mean, they're really good with color. Mm. Um, in fact, they've produced two books on colors of one colors of the Cyclades um, and one in Rome, um, which you know different colors of really understand getting into depth of the theory of colour but using great swashes of colour and mm. everything handmade I mean it's beautiful really beautiful really mm. but quiet not nothing you know they don't sort of shout from the rafters they're just absolutely perfectly produced books yeah affordable affordable very affordable in fact fine presses in Britain tend to be more affordable than fine presses in America we don't have the libraries and you know, it's a sort of not inflated market. Um, definitely affordable way, um, quite an interesting way in, you know, to maybe collect some of the old stuff and then start looking at the new stuff and see what you can afford because there's some very young people coming up who've got very interesting work. Do you think, uh, there's a question I ask uh, you know, quite often uh, because they get conflicting views on this. Do you think that the this, this young the generation, everyone's young compared to me now. Yeah, yeah, yeah we do. But uh, is, there, is there a growing, a real growing interest in the tactile, the book as object? Yes, I think there press? is. Is I there, think there or is. isn't there? I, I think I, people are more visual now. Are there as many collectors as there were before or not? Yeah, always. There aren't so, that many collectors all, ever at any one time. Okay, right. You know, I yeah. think that's the thing to remember. Yeah. But... I think that forever, I mean, I think in 1790, whenever it was, when Lackington wrote a book about book selling, yeah. and he complained that... If you got it, well, he was complaining. There mm. were no no collectors anymore, no good books. Everything was too <laughs> expensive. Nobody right. wanted anything. Yeah. It was all over. And, you know, 240 years later or whatever, it's all still going. And I think there's always people. But yeah. I do think that people are, I mean, I think, Artists are very interested in making books. That's a whole other world. No, I mean, yeah, the origami books kind of thing. Yeah, that is a whole other world. But there is, a, you know, also, you know, photo books are fascinating. You know, a lot yeah. of people are doing those in very small numbers, very beautifully produced, very beautifully printed. They might be digitally printed, but this is the new form of printing, isn't it? So, um, how... Do you know the Lumiere uh, Press? No, I don't know Lumiere, no. Obviously, okay. I need to know. There we you are. Do. Do. Um, but... You know, so there are people producing new new printing techniques and all of that's fascinating. And so, you know, it's all developing and going on and on and on. Yes, there's always an audience for it, but I think there is an increasing audience for it. But obviously, you know, price points are important too, you mm -hmm. know. So if you produce something for £40, a lot of people will buy it, but you probably can't afford to do the very, very beautiful thing on very, very beautiful paper for that kind of money. But what you're re you're recommending, it seems to me, is that if you've got if you've got a certain budget, probably better off putting it all into one really good book than to sort of spread it all over the place. Unless unless that's how it takes you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. for instance, you know, the Ockenclos collection that we were talking about earlier. Um, that it was a man who was obviously fascinated by fine presses across the world and and fine printing and typography across the world, and his books go from £10 to £10,000 and he was a man of means but he understood this is interesting because it's this mm -hmm. so you know don't collect as an investment I suppose is the big thing yeah, so if you're interested in German typography there are plenty of cheap German typographic books you can buy that were trade books but 
you know, yeah. still beautifully printed mm-hmm. and beautifully designed with beautiful covers, you know. So I think that there's no reason, I think, go as broad as you want. I mean, yes, if you know what press you absolutely love and you want, yes, buy one book at a time. Yeah. But otherwise, go very broad and, you know, pursue whatever avenue you're pursuing. I mean, you know, nothing will stop a book collect. <laughs> Well, I mean, thanks. collectors are collectors. We meet them when they're young, and you you know it. You know your child's a collector from day one. Okay. <laughs> thanks for a beautiful interview. Well, thank you very much for coming all the way here. It's been lovely to meet you. What's your website address? It's www.ssrbooks.com. Okay, Sophie Schneiderman. Fine press and private press books. Go there. <laughs> thanks very much. Thank you.